Magnets. You just can't get away from them, especially if you're made of iron. They are everywhere, from your headphones to your PC to cash at the cash point. In fact, magnets are the little scientific secret behind almost every clever device you can't do without. Welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss now on sale monthly X-Men number 112, the August 1978 issue on sale May 16th of 1978, which is titled Magneto Triumphant. Whoa. And before we get too far, there's been bad news. There has been treachery afoot. Somebody broke into the Danger Room Studios and stole one of our reels of tape. We're doing this on analog? <laughs> Heck yeah. We've got giant recording machines with those wheels that go back and forth. There's a lot of equipment and buttons and dials. You know, Adam, you're here. You you record in this studio all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so somebody broke into the studio, stole the rare master tape, which would have comprised the original first 20 minutes of this podcast. So... We have to do the first 20 minutes over again, which means there's going to be like a weird audio change at 20 minutes, and then the rest of the podcast will occur, and you, the listener, are going to be like, what happened? I don't understand. Usually their production value is so much better than this. And I just want to assure everybody that it's because our tape was th uh, stolen, and the authorities have been called, and they're out on the case, and, and we're going to get that tape back. I can't believe we were still recording on analog. <laughs> well, Adam, uh, analog is for those audio purists who really want to hear those high highs and those low lows that you just cannot capture with MP3 compression. I suppose that does describe our audience. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Sophisticated, educated, uh, handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Living on the edge. <laughs> Ladies, men, manly ladies. No, that's not right. <laughs> ladies, men, and manly ladies. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, all right. Well, anyways, let's just jump right into this. Uh, so forgive our audio changeover, but but I know Adam. He's got tricks up his sleeve, and he's gonna crossfade those, and they're gonna. You're not even gonna notice the difference. So we won't that's even clue right. you in. Because we're not gonna shout tell you about it over and over again repeatedly throughout the first 20 minutes and then suddenly not talk about it again for the last 40 minutes well actually everywhere that i had a good joke in the first i'm just going to point out that i did have a good joke but i forgot it and i'm going to assure you that it was very funny but we're just going to move on because i don't have any jokes for this one Right, so once you stop doing that, you'll know that we're in the second half of the show. There you go. All right. So this guy, this uh, this is brought to you by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin, Bruce Patterson on the letters, M. Titus coloring, and Jim Shooter editing. Jeremy, you're skipping over the George Perez cover. Which actually, I don't mind as a cover. I mean, it's got Wolverine fighting back his claws as Magneto's driving them towards his face. He's driving them straight into his eyeballs. I know. Magneto's a sick man. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And he's pushing uh, Colossus back into some control mechanisms or something. Uh, Storm looks on. She's dodging out of the way of the invisible magnetic beams or something. Yeah, something like that. She's got her vampire claws out. Yeah, the rest of the the group is, is uh, apparently has been dealt with or they're dead or something because Banshee's not here. 
uh, Phoenix isn't here, Nightcrawler's here, not here, and nor is Cyclops. So, I guess, or Beast, he's gone too. So I guess we're just left to believe that Magneto has taken care of those X-Men, and these are the final three X-Men that are standing in his way. George Perez doesn't like to draw multiple heroes. He got to four, and he's like, nah, Jim, Mr. Shooter, I, four's my limit. Basically, I feel like George Perez was the artist who did, like, the giant poster featuring all of the Marvel and DC main heroes in, like, one big running-at-you pose. So he probably does draw lots of things. I don't know. Have I seen that? I probably have seen I, that. I, have, I don't know if you've <clears throat> seen it. Okay. Well, it could yeah. be. So we flip open this book. What else has John uh, George Perez done? I feel like he's done a lot more than just this cover. Oh, he's downright famous. Yeah, I was going to say. But isn't he more famous for DC stuff than Marvel? No clue. He's, <laughs> I know he does Avengers sometimes, and people really like it. I thought he was on Superman for a while. Yeah, could be, could be. For some reason I have the name Perez mixed up with Superman, but... I feel like he did a Fantastic Four run at some point in his life. Hmm. Okay. So we flip open this book and we pick up right where we left off, which is basically Magneto and the X-Men inside of Mesmero's trailer. That's right. I'm a man of my word, mutants. I swore I would destroy you and I shall. And then we get the title Magneto Triumphant, which is cutting Beast's head off, slowly severing it. <laughs> I feel like somebody in the background, like Rube or something, is, is yelling that out. Because it kind of looks like a shouty word balloon. <laughs> Magneto Triumphant! <laughs> Shut up, Rube. We got to point out that uh, in the backdrop behind the X-Men, there is a window which is looking out to another trailer, which is interesting. It's true. That'll come in handy later. Yeah. And so we turn the page, and uh, Wolverine is ready to cut loose. He's all mad at Cyclops because they turned him into chickens last time and made him run. We see that Mesmero is lying on the ground as well. Oh, yeah. I think I missed that the first time we did that uh, on our stolen tape. <laughs> but... So now you know, fans, we are not in the second half of the episode. <laughs> but yes, Mesmero is there on the ground. Uh, Cyclops is still trying to hold him back. Like, all right, come on. If if Magneto goads us into an attack, we're as good as dead. So we have to, we have to, he's, I think he's trying to get the team to think, think like a team and not just go onesie twosies after him. It's true. Magneto looking a little crazy in this next panel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Magneto. He's essentially taunting Wolverine. Basically. Uh, he, well, he actually wants uh, Cyclops to uh, let, let him go. Let that madman go. He could use a lesson. And I'm, I'm the one that's going to teach it to him. <laughs> and so Cyclops calls out the play and says, Everybody outside on the double. Nightcrawler. For some reason, even though we were just outside, why don't you go and scout? <laughs> and he does. I wonder why. <laughs> Maybe it's because he looked out the window. <laughs> that could be, but I doubt it. <laughs> it seems that Nightcrawler is awfully surprised because we hear a scream. Ach, nine! And Magneto says, I'm afraid, X-Men, your night of surprises has just begun. It's only just begun. <laughs> Literally, that music pipes out of the trailer, and Colossus is like, what is this awful music? <laughs> Magneto turns into Karen Carpenter. <laughs> we, yeah, right. We did not have this type of music back where I'm from. 
Cyclops rips the door off of its hinges, and that's when the X-Men realize that they are floating miles and miles above the ground. Well, it's actually Colossus who rips that door open, but... Did I say Skyclops? You oh, totally man. did. The first time around, I said Colossus. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it very well could have been Cyclops, because keep in mind that this is a wooden trailer, not a metal trailer. So it would have taken Cyclops a little longer. Yeah. I, I don't know why they needed to rip open the door anyway. They could have just, like, opened the door. Well, because they heard they heard their comrade, Bach uh, uh, Neining, outside. They wanted to find out on the double what was going on. It's a good point that it's a wooden trailer. How is Magneto lifting this thing? That's what I've been trying to figure out. <laughs> uh, so another thing that uh, probably ties into the second half of the podcast is as uh, Nightcrawler teleports outside, he says, or uh, Banshee says, Saints above, what's happening out here? And Nightcrawler says, how the blazes should I know? Just get me off this verdamped stair before it breaks. Adam, do you remember what verdamped means? I'm going to have to guess that it means damn. Yeah. And I mean, it's German, right? So it's obscure enough that you don't have to censor that sort of a swear word, do you? Uh, well, they don't. So Not here, know. but I mean, maybe if they were to redo the issue, say, in 1987 or something like that, there'd be no reason to change that, would there? You might be onto something. Hmm. Well, we'll have to find out. So apparently Magneto is able to move this wooden uh, trailer basically up into the upper atmosphere. It's true. Well, it's it's been a minute, according to the caption, and now they're miles high, according to the next caption, and yet they're hovering around the Earth. Yeah, I mean, you can but, see you can see the curvature of the Earth. That's more than miles is what I'm trying to oh, say. Oh, yeah. Here. I mean, it's no longer blue out. Like, there's blue below and then black above. So, I mean, they are almost into space. They are in space. <laughs> I would call this, I would qualify this as being in space. All right, all right. Once you're past the clouds and you can see the entire Earth beneath you, you're, you're officially in space. Okay. I was going to say that they're like six feet from space. Mm, okay. <laughs> like if Colossus were to t stand on top of the trailer, like he would be in space, but the rest of them would be uh, on in the atmosphere. Interesting. <laughs> That's All right. My theory. Well, anyways, even though they're in space and Nightcrawler's hanging off the backside, Colossus reels him back in. So I guess we're led to believe that Magneto's put up some sort of magnetic oxygen force field or something like that. Maybe that's how he's moving the wooden cart. Yeah, I guess. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not especially. Uh, well, anyway, well, maybe he's using, like, um, Colossus as, like, the anchor. No, that doesn't make any sense either, because then Colossus would be, like, on the top of the uh, trailer pushing it upward, so. Mm. Maybe he put a bunch of iron and metal on the base of the trailer. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. So Colossus rescues Nightcrawler, at which point Nightcrawler says, Lieber Gott, Colossus! Lieber Gott. And you know what that means? It means Dear God. Dear, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. Dear God. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> and you have to pronounce it just like that. Dear God, Colossus. <laughs> yes, and uh, Wolverine is, is happy that his buddy is safe, but he's ready to tear Magneto a new one. And Magneto's goading him on. If you want me, madman, here I am. I defy you to do your worst. 
Here I am. <laughs> Rock me like a hurricane. This episode is brought to you by the 70s. Colossus is like, oh, there's that awful music again. Actually, actually more like Nightcrawler, he says that. <laughs> All right, so Jean gets her first line of dialogue when she says, Wolverine, don't! Cyclops grabs Wolverine and pulls him back. You crazy loon! For once in your misbegotten life, think before you act. We're ten miles up, man. No, they're a little more than ten <laughs> miles up. They're in space. Yeah. Maybe Cyclops is afraid that Wolverine will like completely freak out if he knows the truth. Like if he looks out the window, like the X-Men should have done as they were rising oh. into space. Wolverine's afraid of heights, but only when he's at like 15 miles up. Then he's like, oh my God, and he starts panicking. But at 10, he's like, okay, I can handle this. Whose power do you think got us here and keeps us alive? Benji and Storm can't carry everyone. Anyone. There isn't enough air up here to support their powers. Even if they could, we'd freeze. But wait, they're only 10 miles up, so there should be enough air. I don't actually know much about how that whole atmosphere, upper atmosphere, stratosphere and stuff works, but... I don't know, 10 miles. It doesn't seem that high up. We'd all freeze long before we reached the ground, which is only 10 miles down. Yeah, 10 miles is a long ways, though. Although, I guess we've covered that... Was it Storm that was able to fly from, uh, like, Jamaica Bay back to the mansion and back to get everybody's clothes or something? Not to mention, how many times have they carried the entire team... When they've dropped from something. That's a good point. There was a, a silly uh, Excalibur issue where the uh, Captain Britain uh, flies a bunch of the Excaliburites from London to New York. It's like, come on, really? Is that the whole issue? Is it like hilarious? <laughs> they just talk to each other the whole time? Yeah, and it's like uh, um, Kitty Pride's on his shoulder. And she's like, God, oh, it's so cold. I wish it wasn't so cold. <laughs> no, it, that was like one panel, but I was like, come on, can't you like pony up for a plane ticket here you're really gonna fly across the ocean <laughs> now anyways so this is where uh uh well everybody kind of uh, agrees with cyclops and says yes we're too high up in the air so we'd better listen to magneto's tale of how we got here because that's what evil villains Beast chimes in let him make the next move shortcake so apparently Magneto was ready to exact his um revenge and he went to the mansion he got sidetracked a couple of times by Doctor Doom and Captain America, as we talked about uh, last episode. From Captain America Annual Number 4 and Champions Number 16, referenced in this very issue and talked about in last episode. Yes, you heard it here, folks. So he came to the mansion, and I guess, how does he know where the mansion is? He's, he's put dinosaurs in front of it. He's known where it is for a long time. Okay, you're, you're right. And back in issue 16, he... Uh, brainwashed Warren's parents. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. So he just knows where the mansion is. Okay. So he finds the mansion empty, and uh, but then he notices that the Beast uh, arrives in a Quinjet, and so he decides to trail Beast in the Quinjet because uh, he figures that wherever Beast is going, the X-Men are probably somewhere close. He's like, I got nothing better to do. What is he doing in this third panel? It looks like he's like seeing there's a layer of dust and that's how he determines that no one's been there either no one's been here for over a week or no one has dusted Hmm. (laughs) and then that table regardless of what's going on is really shiny so i don't know what's going on with the dust in this uh it looks like he's like 
laying down some grease on there. <laughs> Someone left some tea on the table. <laughs> Maybe he's leaving a note for the professor on the table. <laughs> Charles, I was here. I called. You were not in. Talk to you soon. Kill you later. <laughs> yeah, and so that's when he flies after Beast. And uh, he apparently was able to blend right into the circus, I guess, because he's just following Beast around. Nobody's given two looks at him. Yeah, he looks like a circus crazy. No, he looks like the master of magnetism who took over like an Air Force base a couple of months ago. Nobody remembers that. <laughs> oh, that was okay. in the 60s. All right. And so Magneto's also pretty surprised to see that all the X-Men are transformed into sideshows and carnival barkers and stuff. And he's kind of wondering who actually did this himself. And the little kid in the audience is like, Mommy, that's Magneto. <laughs> Shut up, it is not. <laughs> There's no such thing as a Magneto. The beast made an excellent stalking horse, drawing everyone's attention while I stayed in the background and watched what developed in my purple and red costume. That's when he discovers that uh, the leader behind this whole plan was Mesmero. And he was unable to enthrall the beast, by the way. It's a quick little reminder. And after that, Magneto used a magnetic force bolt to take care of Mesmero and Beast. We thought it was him uh, using his mental powers. Oh, right. Because there was that weird cloud that appeared over Beast's head, but apparently it was his mag magnetic force blast. So the, the, uh, the, the telekinetic powers have not returned. No, no. The mind powers have not returned. He's, so far, he's not able to go on the astral plane or uh, communicate via telepathy. It's true. I'm sure they won't ex ever explain that. But uh, Beast goes on to say, oh, my aching head. Gee, Maggie, I thought you and me was best buddies. Which I think is a reference to the, the Captain America, or, or no, the champions and the... Uh, Whatever that Doctor Doom issue was, I uh, would imagine so. I mean, because they villains incorporated or something, uh, Marvel villain super villain team up or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would assume that that's what it's in reference to because they were kind of buddy buddy there working together. But yeah, but then he could just be he could just be messing around. This is how this is how these things go in the Marvel universe. First, your allies, then you're fighting each other. Had the rest of you not freed yourselves from Mesmero's conditioning, though, I'd have done it for you. So, basically, everything you did in the last issue, completely worth or worthless. Hmm. But it was fun for me to watch. Yeah. Did you catch Magneto in several of the background of the panels in the previous issue? No. Did you? I, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was going to say, did, did you cast spot something that I didn't see? No. Hmm. But they, they added them back in into classic X-Men. Get out of here. No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> Stop it, Adam. You're so <laughs> believable when you lie like that. So that's when uh, Cyclops says, that makes no sense. Why would you zap Mesmero? You and he used to be allies. That's when Magneto reveals that it wasn't him that whole time. It was uh, the, the, the Magneto this fool served, the one who claimed to be the father of Lorna Dane, was a robot. My dear Cyclops, I don't even know the man. That's interesting, I guess. I mean, 
Once again, uh, Claremont kind of reaching back into some of the stories that were told in the 1 through 66 and just kind of making sure that things are tied together somewhat without really, you know, overdoing it and, and beating it into our heads. Did the X-Men ever find out that that Magneto was a robot? No. It was when the Sentinels, it was after the Living Pharaoh was the Sentinels, and I think uh, Larry Trask was collecting all of the mutants, and there was like a camera on Magneto, and Mesmero was like, Magneto, Magneto, the Sentinels are here. What do we do? And that's when Magneto fell apart. Yeah, so I guess the X-Men weren't there. Nope. So for all we know, the X-Men had no idea that Magneto was a robot and fell apart. Well, it's at this point that Perez and Tirador enter the scene in their fighter jets. This is, in fact, George Perez. Yes. And I like these guys. They have a very clever, funny dialogue with, with each other. First of all, they, they cannot believe that they are engaging a flying circus wagon. They want to call it in, but they just can't see themselves calling it in because nobody's going to believe it, even though they both see it. Yeah. And uh That's true. And he says that it's a circus uh wagon flying at 70,000 feet. I think a mile is what like 15,000 feet, something like that. So that really only he puts says, you at like two and a half miles up. He says that it's an una carata or four and a half miles. Yeah. What's una carata mean? According to Google, it means it's a gas. Oh. But I'm assuming that means uh, it's supposed to be a wagon. Hmm. It's una sareta, some kind of wagon painted like it's part of circle, a circus. It's like he's, defi- he's, he's translating for us for some reason <laughs> and flying at 70,000 feet. It's heading due south, climbing and pulling away from us as if we were standing still. So it's going really fast. So maybe it was 10 miles up, but Magneto's like, ooh, we better get an oxygen refreshment. So he dipped way down, and that's when these guys caught up with them. According to Google, Uncaro is a wagon. Okay. So the one of the pilots asks if they should shoot it down, but before they could make a decision, Magneto magnetically throws Mesmero out of the trailer. And, and anyway, they don't have a missile fast enough to catch the wagon because it's traveling pretty freaking fast. That's what we're led to believe. And as, as Mesmero heads down... Um, the pilots are like, oh, we, we're go, we'll go get the guy. It looks like he's heading towards the Amazon jungle. Uh, it must be, we'll call it in that we lost the UFO and one of the crew bailed out. And then this is kind of my favorite line. We'll follow him down. Control can send helicopters to pick him up. And then, my friend, we will fly home and get very drunk. I like very, that line. Very, very drunk. Yeah. Even. I, well, I mean, after, wouldn't you, like, isn't that what you would do? Be like, I can't believe what I saw today. Let's go have some drinks and talk about it some more, about how we can't believe it. Every drink, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Take a drink if you can't believe it. I can't believe it. We're very drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. They're just guys, you know? Well, exactly. And that's what guys would do, and that's why I like that little bit of dialogue. It humanized those throwaway characters to me. Storm, meanwhile, is freaking out at Magneto even if Mesmero was your worst enemy to callously hurl him to his death. And she does not look good in this panel. She is all bent and contorted like a pretzel. It's mm-hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, Magneto reveals here that uh, she she underestimates his power. 
he has him totally under his control, and Mesmero is falling slowly, but, I mean, the landing will be painful, but that's no more than he deserves. The X-Men are his oldest foes, and only he will defeat them. Nobody else. If anyone has hurt, earned the rights to destroy you, it is I. I am power! <laughs> So as soon as Magneto descends into this volcano that he has, uh, I guess he's magnetically repelling the lava. In it at Antarctica, we should mention that. Oh yeah, that is important. He then explodes the cart, and then we get the uh, double page spread on the bottom of these two pages of the underground complex. This is one of many installations scattered throughout the globe. What? Oh, yeah. Because Magneto has a bunch of these, I guess. Drawing its power directly from the Earth's core, the complex is totally self-sufficient and virtually impregnable, a masterpiece of automated technology that would do Tony Stark or Reed Richards proud. So I guess what we're saying here is that Magneto, super genius. Yeah, totally. Should be noted, I don't I don't know if you mentioned it, but this is inside of an active volcano and they go through lava and everybody thinks they're gonna die. Yes, that, that did happen. I, I don't I don't necessarily like I mean, where think about the contractors and I mean, there's gotta be bathrooms on this thing, so he would have had to hire some plumbers and electricians to wire it all up. He's Magneto. Yeah. He does all that himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. That's just details, I suppose. Well, actually, he probably was able to get a plumber up here and then use his magnetic brain iron control thing to be like, hook me up with some plumbing and then forget about it. <laughs> all right, well, as soon as the X-Men land on the ground, they start attacking one by one. Wolverine lands on his face and therefore is out for the count. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Cyclops kind of starts it off, even though he'll later on complain about the lack of teamwork, but he says, I've got to start things off myself and work everyone else in as we go along. And then he's, so he starts the zapping. He's made his move exactly, exactly as I figured he would. Had no chance to alert the others. I don't know, this was a bad plan. Mm -hmm. So then Colossus comes in and attempts to punch Magneto, but of course... Colossus is made out of metal, so he's useless. Then Beast comes in and swings down to uh, give a mighty cowabunga. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's made out of metal, so Magneto zaps... No, wait, what's happening here? <laughs> he uses a multi-kilovolt static charge. What? <laughs> I don't have... I mean, a supposedly... It, there's electromagnetic energy all around, so I guess if he could figure out how to create a static charge out of those electromagnetics, I suppose this makes sense. And he is furry, so he would be more susceptible, I guess. So this is like a massive static shock. I think so. Come on. <laughs> it, it really, really smarts. He, he's really surprised. Like, he's not hurt, but he's just like, ooh, ah, man, God, I don't like that at all. It feels so weird. You made my first stand on him. <laughs> Everybody has a good laugh. They stick balloons to him. It's amazing. <laughs> but then he is able to use, I don't know, magnetic force to whip him across the room as well, to whip Beast across the room. 
Yeah, it's all it's all explained by magnetic force at this point. He's yeah. just doing magnetic force this, magnetic force that. Yeah. He also reminds us that uh, after his resurrection at the hands of Eric the Red, his powers are now at their peak. It's true. Storm realizes that if she's going to strike, she has to use muster all her strength. So she does. She doesn't use lightning because last time she did that, she, he was able to turn it back on her. So instead, she uses a blizzard and uh, threatens to kill Magneto with this massive blizzard force. But at the last second, she realizes she can't kill him and kind of pulls back. At, and Magneto takes advantage of that. And then he turns somehow turns her him into a living superconductor which with a mighty shazam he blasts her with i guess a magnetic force of superconduction and that's when shazam shows up did somebody call my name <laughs> hey guys what's going on wrong universe oh okay oh. i'll be on my way rats <laughs> Nightcrawler is up in the shadows and he's doing his little invisibility trick. We can only see his eyes and I think an arm and a foot. Yes. I think there's they're both arms, but you could be right about the foot. It I, could I, be. I can't tell. I really can't tell either. So he's like, uh, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do the only thing I can do, which is to just fling myself at Magneto. I'm no more than a glorified acrobat. Magneto's decked beast, Storm and Colossus, what chance do I have? So who said I want to live forever, eh? <laughs> so now he's Mexican. Nice. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> so using some sort of magnetic force of some kind, yeah, Nightcrawler is also repelled away from Magneto, and he repels him towards Colossus, which is now in free fall heading down towards Nightcrawler. So reasonably, if Colossus doesn't change forms... Nightcrawler will be smushed, but if he changes forms, he risks, well, killing himself as he hits the ground. Right. Supposedly, that's the plan. At the last moment, he turns from his uh, steel form into his uh, skin form, and they both crash onto the ground, hurt but not permanently damaged. And I suppose the reason that Kurt does not bamf in this situation is because it's all just happening too fast. Yeah, I... Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Banshee enters the fray by screaming at Magneto and causing all sorts of things to crash uh, on Magneto's head. So Magneto uses an old trick to use the ferrous material in the atmosphere to surround his body. But I guess we're kind of tired of that effect, so Banshee... Uh, realizes what's happening and is able to scream away the debris. Looks like he's doing some sort of vibration thing, too. Mm -hmm. His drawing is all lines, shaky lines and stuff. Didn't he have some sort of vibration-y thing he did in the old X-Men series as well? Oh, yeah. Wasn't he able to, like, vibrate through stuff or something? Yeah, I, I just recall a panel that was drawn very similar to what we're looking at right here. I don't remember, though. And then Magneto somehow uses his scream and warps it back at him, vibrating low-frequency sonic, low sonics. As I think about it, I think Banshee had the ability to scream at a subsonic level to vibrate his whole body, thus making him semi-invisible. Uh, 
Hmm. Didn't he? Couldn't he do that when he was stealing paintings and cigars? Well, yeah, that was back when he looked like a vampire bat. <laughs> okay, those days are done though. He's getting old. Yep. So his scream is magnetic, as you mentioned, and it got repelled back at him. <laughs> <laughs> Magneto just amazing in this issue. <laughs> and so that leaves, Colo- or I mean, Cyclops, who has he just been like watching this whole time? Pretty much. Yeah. Been watching them all go one by one. Damn, he says. We're supposed to be a team. As a team, I doubt there's a villain alive who could beat us, including Magneto. So what happens? Everyone goes off and attacks one on one. No coordination. No strategy. No brains. Apparently, no leader. Yeah, exactly. Hello. Cyclops could have called out like, "Come on, let's do Plan P three." which would have just involved Phoenix flying them away or something. <laughs> so uh, Magneto gloats that he can do two things at once. Uh, he can shield himself magnetically from the optic blasts and at the same time counterattack by using some piece of metal to knock Cyclops out, which just leaves only Marvel Girl keeping him from total victory. First off, Magneto. Yeah, my, I, I lost my my Marvel Girl last episode, and now I just don't have it anymore. Your voice is too manly First to get off, into it. First off, Magneto. <laughs> name isn't Marvel Girl anymore. What in the name of sanity? It's Phoenix. Good Lord. Yeah, so Magneto is pretty impressed by Phoenix's awe-inspiring power, and uh, he... He is a little bit scared, and she she notices that. He actually does look scared, and then she's starting to bring the raging, the power of the raging sun itself against him, and then her power just sputs out, sputters out. I need more power, but there's no more left. I've reached some kind of limit, but I thought I had no limit. And then she falters, and she falls, and... Magneto strikes, shaping the earth, shaping the magnetic forces of the earth itself like a bottle, to create a bottle effect around Phoenix that draws her life energy out like a sponge. I guess so. Sure. Wolverine wakes up, and he's like, what, what, what the flaming? And so he just... <laughs> what the flaming futzer? <laughs> He springs into attack and whips out his claws and strikes at Magneto, but is only able to damage Magneto's cape. Which we get a cool little segment here as Magneto turns Wolverine's claws against him. Mm-hmm. And is uh, he's going to have him stab himself in the face. Let's see how it feels to be on the receiving end for a change. Wolverine's thinking to himself... They're coming closer, and I can't stop them. In your omnibus, does Wolverine have little beady eyes? Yes. <laughs> they look like big googly eyes that somebody would have affixed to it. <laughs> like if you shake them around, like both of the eyes just just spin around on their own. It's kind of funny. Magneto does not want to kill Wolverine, however, and forces him to retract his claws and punch himself out. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, why are you hitting yourself, Wolverine? <laughs> Why are you hitting yourself? He Stop does. hitting yourself. Why are you hitting yourself? He just does it over and over and over again and laughs hysterically. Then he takes his milk money. 
he's won, he's beaten them all, and he laughs and laughs, and it's, uh, you know, there's a long time before his laughter fades, and a much longer time before the X-Men awaken. And now we find out, Cyclops, not long ago you asked me why. Now I'll tell you. I am a proud man, X-Men. Your mentor, Charles Xavier, and my treacherous creation, Alpha, humbled me. We'll remember that from Defenders number 16 when he was reduced to infancy. But apparently when he was reduced to infancy, he remembered everything that was going on but couldn't do anything about it. And that was the worst torture ever. And so now he has found a fitting revenge, and that is to lock the X-Men up to this machine, which renders their powers useless, uh, makes them unable to talk to one another. Or do anything. Do anything. He's also got a nanny here that will feed them and tend to all of their needs, but the X-Men will not be able to move, talk, or use their powers but they will have the ability to freely think about what they could possibly be doing, and that will be uh, torturous. Adequate torture. And he explains here that he his vengeance is against Xavier and those he loves best in the world, specifically you X-Men. So he doesn't care which X-Men. He just wants the current X-Men, whatever the current lineup is. If there is a hell, X-Men, surely it cannot be more terrible than this. Next issue, Triumph and Tragedy. Yay. (laughs) I like this close-up of Magneto. Yes, the last panel where it's just centered on his evil, evil evil-looking eyes and his, his helmet. Although, if I had this helmet, I would be worried about stabbing my nose. I know, there's a big sharp point right up there. Anybody jars that helmet even a bit, and you're losing that nose. (laughs) But it's the style. Sure. It looks evil. So that was uh, Uncanny, or I guess that was X-Men number 112. Indeed. Did we get any communiques this week, Adam? I don't think so. Oh, man. No love. All right. We went down to 38 iTunes reviews. Five stars, and now we're back at 39. So yes. Maybe it was the same person realized what they'd done and felt bad about it. Who knows? They're like, maybe I do like these guys after all. No new written reviews, but we're one away from 40. All right. So get busy, folks. Boy, oh, boy. So I guess we will turn our attention now to classic X-Men number 18. And this features a giant Magneto, which is kind of a crappy drawing. And he's got the whole X-Men in the palm of his hands. He's got the whole (laughs) X-Men in his hands. He's got the whole white X-Men. He's got really bushy white eyebrows underneath his helmet. They really like to accentuate his eyebrows in this issue. They do it in other places, too. Do they? With the additional art. Yeah, well, so this is Art Adams doing this cover. We flip inward. We got a nice little picture of Beast and Nightcrawler running towards little us. Little Nightcrawler. <laughs> yes. I like Beast here. He's kind of cool with his, you know, his hands are down on the ground, but his feet are up in the air as if he's scampering across the uh, the panel. I like them both. I think they're both good drawings. It's just because uh, it's, it's, it's a perspective shot. I'm assuming the Nightcrawler is way behind Beast, but 
it's not a very well done and they're they're very if you look at the shadows of the hands it looks like he is they're side by side essentially yeah nightcrawler's very small <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we have a new writer on the backup story, and it's a name that we might remember from letters sections that we've brought up previously, but yeah. this, this is Joe Duffy doing a, I guess, writing debut on Classic X-Men. I don't know if it's her writing debut. I don't even know if it's a her, to be honest. I assume so, since it's J-O, but... Yep, it's a woman. Okay. Mary Joe Duffy. Oh, well, Mary Joe. So there you go. And for pencils, we've got Kieran Dwyer helping us out on pages 2, 3, and 17 with John Bolton doing the backup art. Interesting. She made, uh, Joe Duffy first made an appearance in comic as an autograph seeker in Iron Man 103. Hmm. Okay. So they, they talked about like this crazy broad came to a con and got my second autograph or what? I guess she had lots of letters published in the letters columns, so they started including her in the comics. Oh, okay. And then she became editor, mm -hmm. and then her first writing work was apparently on Power Man and Iron Fist and, and Star Wars. So that's right about this time, I think. I don't know when the Star Wars series launched, but Power Man and Iron Fist is starting up about now, I think. Yeah. Because Iron Fist 15 was the last issue of Iron Fist. Well, keep in mind, this this issue is also from the 80s. Good point. <laughs> well so, done. Yeah, this was definitely not the first. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, let's skip right over to page two and three, which is a double page spread, which does definitely include the giant eyebrows you had mentioned. For some reason, only the left one. Yeah. And what's going on with his shoulders? Are they just not drawn? <laughs> They are covered by the panels. Okay, because it just looks like he's got a triangular neck here. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, he. that's not his body. It's just his head. Oh, I see. I see what's going on Because if here. you look at the top, the top matches, mirrors yeah. the bottom. And it's all of the X-Men just like, uh, we can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> there are so many words here. Nightcrawler looks petrified. Wolverine's ready to attack. Colossus looks like he's taking a dump. <laughs> I like Colossus's thoughts, actually. Why are we enemies? Mutants have the power to reshape the Earth. There is so much good we might do. Yet we spend all our energy battling amongst ourselves. I just like that. I think, yes, I like what he says as well, but I think the intent that the artist had was that uh, Colossus was a little bit saddened by the fact that he was about to do battle with another mutant. But here, it, he's just like his neck is all scrunched up like he's really trying to push hard. <laughs> The problem is he has no eyeballs, so it looks like his eyes are closed. I thought his eyes were were closed. Do you think they're supposed to be open here? I think they're supposed to be open. Oh, that that would change the picture entirely. <laughs> uh, let's see here, Cyclops. He looks he's he looks sad. I mean, he's like, oh man, we got to do this. We're not ready. This is crazy. <laughs> he's like, oh, not this again. Uh, Marvel or Phoenix rather? She looks good. She looks ready for for battle. Yeah, no, no eyeballs. Yeah, but she's Phoenix. Like it seems like when she goes into Phoenix mode, she loses her pupils. Hmm. But uh, she, apparently, there's a psychic rapport between the two. She can hear Scott, but she can't hear the rest of them because there's some psychic interference going on. So I guess that's a, a way to explain away why Marvel or Phoenix isn't like coordinating efforts between the X Men. Right. All of this makes it seem like the X Men are far more prepared than they were previously. And smarter. Beast is like, 
First chance I get, I'm going to hightail it out of here, grab the Quinjet, and bring back the Avengers. Because I'm an Avenger. Yep. Magneto is thinking to himself, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but I might as well, essentially. Yeah. He, he, well, he's showing a little bit of self-doubt. He's a fool to challenge the X-Men so soon after his resurrection. It's true that he defeated them before, but now they've got some new members. There was only five of them now, and now there's a whole bunch more. Yeah, but what the heck? I'm at my peak. I might as well try it. Like you said. So the first, okay, so that's uh, the first little bit there, but I want to draw your attention to page five, where Nightcrawler is hanging off the stairs, and he says... How the blazes should I know? Just get me off. And he used to say verdamped, but now he says, get me off these blasted stairs before it breaks. Hmm. How about that? I, don't, I mean, the least they could have done was at least put blasted in German in there just to keep the <laughs> continuity. But they felt the need to take verdamped out and replace it with blasted. So do they also take out where Cyclops says damn? They do. And he says blast. He says blast now. <laughs> yes, he does. Huh. So that's why I made a big deal Fascinating. of for damped earlier in the in the issue. Also on page 13 where Nightcrawler was uh disappeared in the shadows, uh they just inked all over it to make it look like he's hiding in the shadows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so before there was like some transparencies and stuff, but now it's just all black. Those classic X-Men, they're so crazy. There's probably some other changes here, but the the next big one is where Phoenix is attacking with the raging, the power of the raging sun itself. And last, uh, originally it went from right uh, from here to her power sputtering out, but we get a more elaborate fight scene of her using her powers and Magneto hurling some stuff at her and her repelling that stuff and them going kind of toe-to-toe, blasting each other with their powers until Magneto's on his knees and then her power starts futzing out. Futz her. <laughs> and then we join the comic book back in progress. I don't think there was really any need for that. I just feel like Claremont's like, well, let's make this longer. Gotta add three pages. Promised I would. <laughs> Wish I wouldn't have made that promise. Seemed like a good idea at the time, but now it's just more of a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know something's wrong when, like, the go-to now is like a double-page spread with everybody worried about what's about to happen. Because <laughs> it seems like it's the second time that that has occurred. And I'm surprised they didn't put, like, a big, thick eyebrow in this last panel of... uh of Magneto. Yeah, they should have. Uh, yeah. So that takes us to our backup story, which is called Stalking Life. This is the one that's written by Joe Duffy, and uh, Phoenix has got to get away. She is camping somewhere. She's totally alone, finally by herself. She doesn't have to be afraid of anything. Not sure where this takes place in continuity, but... I would say probably before this whole Magneto adventure. Yeah, let's just say it's right before she gets kidnapped by Mesmero. Okay. (laughs) So she's out in the woods. She's thinking to herself about her powers, I think, and some stuff that's happening. And then she decides she wants some coffee. She's being stalked by a mysterious man with a knife. Mm -hmm. A very large knife. 
So as she goes to get her coffee pot, which she had originally forgotten, she bends over just at the right time for this crazy man to jump over her. And she says, question mark? And he shouts, exclamation point! (laughs) At least that's how it's drawn. And we find out that the knifed assailant is actually Logan. And then the caption says, the stalker recovers, but, and Logan finishes the thought, too late. It was too late before you even started, little man. Phoenix. Phoenix. Blah, 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 blah. So she's like, what were you thinking? I, You came after Gene Gray, but, but now I'm turned into Phoenix. How could you not expect this? I don't know. Just what did you think you were doing haunting me? Oh, it's terrible. I know. <laughs> it's so gone. Yeah. Your voice has finally changed and you can't do the voice. <laughs> I know, man. I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the idea here is that Wolverine had... Uh, was able to turn his thoughts to such an animalistic uh, point that she was unable to detect his approach. And she's, he's, Wolverine is just trying to figure out how she will react to all of these things. Like, is she ready for battle? I guess. And she's like, why did you use this knife? And he says, well, if I used my claws, you would have known it was me. And, um, and I'd have to be a real amateur to let you hear my me unsheathing my real claws. And then it turns out Banji's in the, the woods as well, and she brings him out. Your partner in this crime has been so interested, he forgot to shield his thoughts from me. So let's get all of it out in the open, Banshee. And so she lifts Banshee into the air and brings him back down, and they talk and then she says i want some coffee we should get some coffee i'll bring the water to us but instead of bringing just a little bit of water she brings the entire lake over this is impressive she she lifts all the water out in the shape of the lake still and the Mm -hmm. fishes are still in there and she brings the lake above their heads so much so that she can see the fish swimming and i think the point here is that she's like i'm so powerful that i can bring the lake over here and then extract a quart of water for the coffee pot and wolverine's point is that thing is you got plenty of control when you're alone and planning every move you got to practice your control when you meet up with distractions and that's when nightcrawler teleports in says boo and she drops the lake on him drops the lake on all of them. They all get soaked. Uh, Nightcrawler's got a little funny blurb here. He's like, Mein Gott, she'll be glad to see us, they said. It will be just like a game of tag, they said. And he's Irish now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Look what Look you what made, you made, made me, me do! Me do. <laughs> she says in a very childish way. This is all your fault! If you wouldn't have come here, I would have never done this! Wolverine's metal skeleton is weighing him down. He's going to drown. Oh, somebody better save him. Gene pulls him out of the water and puts him up in a tree. Uh Uh-huh. And now there's just water all over the forest, and Banshee says, You got to clean this up. You got it here. You got to get clean it up. And so she does. 
It takes a bunch of control for her to extract just the water and not just the not the trees and bushes and whatever other animals and she accidentally extracts all the water from Nightcrawler's body, killing him instantly. <laughs> She's able to uh, take all the water and put it back in the lake and then make a little joke about, you should have had to clean up this mess. It was your fault. <laughs> I'm going to get some coffee. I hope <laughs> you guys don't mind. Yes, you still owe me for the forfeit, so I'm going to let you... I'm going to let one of you cook dinner... And get the water for the coffee. <laughs> Match. <laughs> yes. And that's the end. Uh, although I do like the back cover of this, which is a John Bolton of kind of a sexy Marvel girl sitting by the fire while some stalker sits in the shadows with his knife. Jason Voorhees. Yeah, totally. And that's it. That is it. It's true. Is there anything else going on, Adam, that you've been reading that you would like to cover, or, or is that it? Uh, I do have a few issues. I, I read uh, some Captain Britain issues that came out around this time. Uh, I read issue 8, 9, 10, 12, 21, 31, and 34. I'm not going to go over the stories because <laughs> wow. they're not that consequential. But what I am going to mention is that it features the – uh, the first couple of issues, 8, 9, and 10, are written by Chris Claremont, and they feature the first appearance of one Betsy Brandt, the brothers of Brian, the twin brother of Brian uh, Braddock, rather, not Brandt. Yeah, I was going to say, who's uh, this Betsy Brandt person? <laughs> I was getting her confused with Betty Brandt from Spider-Man, I think. Right. Uh, Betsy Braddock is the twin brother, or the twin sister of... Brian Braddock, who is uh, Captain Britain, and also Jamie Braddock, who is not Captain Britain. Oh, so Jamie Braddock is in those stories? Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. All of them are. Okay. that That's interesting. And in fact, what's, what's odd is that um, in the first issue, her uh, Betsy's hair is blonde, and in the second issue, it is orange and kind of a brownish orange, and it stays that way, and then by the end, it's back to being blonde. Weird. Because the Betsy Braddock we get to know has brown hair and then purple. Right. Interesting. I always thought that uh, Captain Britain was a Chris Claremont creation because he seems to always be writing Excalibur or Captain Britain-related material. He did write the first ten issues of Captain Britain. Okay, he did. All right. So... I don't know whether or not that makes it his creation or not, but yeah, I don't know. He definitely had something to do with Brian Braddock's origin and the introduction of Jamie and uh, Betsy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I guess, I assumed it because isn't isn't Chris Claremont from England or something like that? Rawr. Oh, I'm pretty sure he is. Rawr, Raggy. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, okay, that's totally interesting. Now, is she in these stories? Is she a kid? No, she's, well, she's the twin of, uh, so presumably she's the same age as Brian. Brian is Jamie's younger brother. They mentioned that a lot. So she's probably, they're probably both teenagers okay. or something. I should read those because later on when we get into X-Men lore, you see some, or maybe it's Excalibur, I don't remember which, but you'll see like young Betsy. Well, no, I guess they do flash back to young Betsy and Brian playing with Jamie, but Jamie's kind of like a creepy dude. <laughs> I don't know if he is in these comics, but... 
No, not really. He's he's a, he's a good older brother, and he's cool, and they have a healthy family. They're, I guess their parents are dead, and Brian feels responsible for that. But other than that, uh, she doesn't show any sort of sign of mutant powers. She gets, like, uh, her her mind gets controlled in the first, in her first appearance by Dr. Sin. Wow. And she sees monsters. Okay. And she attacks Brian and Jamie thinking they're monsters. I think Excalibur calls back to a lot of that stuff, but I could be, I could be way wrong. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens in Excalibur that I'm like, I don't know what this is. I don't know who these people are. So... That would be an interesting thing to do at some point. Well, they're they're all, like they, it was a weekly comic book, so it came out every. Uh, it was only like eight pages a week. Oh, okay. So they're pretty, they're pretty quick reads. Huh. I'll have to check them out. And you too, listeners, should check them out. I guess. Why not? What the heck? Yeah. What the heck? Well, then, anything else you want to cover, Adam? No, uh, when was the last time we did? We gave everybody the, the information about our, our awesome website and awesome <laughs> iTunes stuff. It has been a while. If you would like to contact us, you could go to www.xmenpodcast.com where we feature all of the episodes, panels, and uh, allow you to comment on your favorite episode or whatever episode you would like to. You can also email us at redcat or Danger Room at redcapproductions.com. You can visit us at www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, where you could like us. I think we're up to like 122 likes as of the recording of this pod, of this episode, so that's pretty cool. Or you can follow us on our Twitter feed, which is at Danger Room Go. Go out to iTunes and search for Danger Room or X-Men. Danger Room will get you there quicker, and you can find us there. Subscribe. Leave that 40th piece of feedback or five-star rating, and uh, I think that's about it. You could also leave us a voicemail at 501-GET-X-MEN. Turns out some guy who uh, had a fire-damaged house has been calling the number a lot. I, I don't think he's a listener, but <laughs> but he's called us, and he's like, I want to talk to you about the house that burnt down. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, like, we have a Christmas recording message on there. But whatever, you know. He called, like, six times. I was debating whether or not we should just play all of them on this podcast. But I think <laughs> it'd get a little redundant after a while. So, anyhow, there you go. And we did get we did get a letter from Matt S. saying that he found us on the Stitcher and keep up the reviews. We guys are fun. So don't forget to mention the Stitcher. Oh, yeah. You can go to Stitcher and you can find us uh, like Matt did. So... I think I commented uh, on to him that, uh, or commented to him that I, I didn't think that Twitter, or, nah, I didn't think that Twitcher, geez, I didn't <laughs> think that Stitcher was doing anything for us. So it's awesome to hear how people find us. Maybe yeah. that could be what you send to us is how you actually found us since we have paid no money in advertising. Only money that we've paid are on our omnibuses, Marvel Masterworks, and web hosting. So let us know how you found us. Send us an email or uh, let us know on the Facebook page. And we're getting up to our 100th episode coming up soon. So uh, why don't you, as fans, send us letters. Uh, actually, send us some questions. Uh, ask us anything and we'll answer your questions and we'll try to answer everybody's questions. Ask Jeremy some difficult X-Men trivia. Well, I'm just going to look it up on the internet to have a good answer. Don't tell them that. Oh, I mean, I totally know everything and nobody could stump me with a difficult question. 
<laughs> I'm like a walking X-Men encyclopedia. I know it all. There you go. The challenge, the gauntlet has been dropped. <laughs> Not sure what that was supposed to be. I don't know. It kind of sounded like the Metal Gear soundtrack. But... <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, until next time, the danger room is closed. There's a region of our planet that no human being has ever visited. No one has ever seen this place. Yet what happens here affects every one of us, every day of our lives. It's 2,000 miles beneath our feet. The Earth's molten core. Here, a vast ocean of liquid iron generates an invisible force. The Earth's magnetic field. It's what makes our compasses point north, but it does a lot more. It helps to keep the Earth a living planet.